Welcome to worship. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. We're so glad you're here with us today. If this is your first time, we invite you to check in online and we will send you this week a gift card for coffee on us. We're so glad you're here. This is week nine of our sermon series, The Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Jason has a great message planned for us in just a few moments. If you're interested in knowing more about the sermon, you can find sermon discussion questions online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Jen with our announcements. Welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Jen Brown. I'm so glad you're here today. It feels like the dog days of summer, but it's only July. But we have so much going on at Schweitzer. We hope you'll get connected and engaged with. I want to tell you about a few of those things. The first thing I want to tell you about today is our backpack program. And one of the ways we care for our community is by partnering with local elementaries. And we have one right here in our own backyard called Pittman Elementary. This year, we are going to be stuffing backpacks for students and teacher totes for teachers. And so if you want to be part of this, we would love for you to grab a backpack stuffing bag outside in the fellowship hall today and take it home with you, fill it up, and then bring it back by August 7th. Uh, there, we have lots of options. You can either choose from a teacher tote or a student backpack or do both. Just bring it back by August 7th. You have all the instructions on the bag. You can even do this online. We have a list of options you can shop for online and send it to the church office. Just go to switzer.church next to get some more information about that. And we hope you'll be engaging with us in this community project. Also on August 4th, We'll be hearing more about Pittman Elementary as part of our second season lunch. Second season is our ministry for people 55 and older, but anyone can come and come learn all about uh, how to serve our community. And we have some volunteers who will be talking about the Reading Buddies program and how they really help students with reading and all those kinds of things. Plus, we'll have a great lunch, a great time together. Be sure you sign up at switzer.church slash second season or head out to the Blue Booth today to go ahead and sign up for that lunch. Also, on August 4th, we're going to be hosting a community blood drive, and I want you to take a moment to listen to Clay Parton. He's going to share why this is so important. Uh, For decades, I gave blood every chance I I was allowed to, as often as I could, because I knew it was helping others. And it only took an hour, and, and a little bit later, my body rebuilt all that blood. No skin off of my teeth, except for an hour, really, of my time. One day, I was gonna die if I didn't get blood. And I remember thinking if someone hadn't given, I wouldn't be here today. Became even more important when COVID comes along and donations dropped and Springfield's blood supply really, really needs beefing back up. And Schweitzer is a big enough organization that we alone, if, if we engaged in this, can make a huge difference to our community. I was reading this morning, Matthew 25, where Jesus is talking and you can easily paraphrase uh, where he starts in verse 37 as saying, you know, if you helped the sick, you helped me. And that's right in line with Schweitzer's mission of Christ-centered community focus. So there's a blood drive coming up and if we all just jump in there as a congregation, we can make a difference for our community. Thanks, Clay. It's helpful if you want to sign up to let us know you'll be there at switzer.church next, but you can also just drop in anytime between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. over in the Fellowship Center on August 4th. On August 11th, our Schweitzer Kids team is prepping for a really great event called Last Blast of Summer. This is kind of our kickoff to the school year. It'll be all outdoors on our parking lot, and we'll be having a blast with bounce houses, hot dogs, 
all kinds of games. Plus, this year we're also going to be having a car show. So if you have a classic car and want to bring that out, we'd love to have you here showcasing it. And if you want to volunteer, we need a ton of volunteers to help make this possible. So it'll be the best event we can have for our community. You can sign up at kids or head out to the Blue Booth today to talk to someone or learn more about Last Blast of Summer. Again, thanks so much for being with us today. We have a lot going on, so if you want to stay connected more, make sure you sign up for our e-newsletter or head to our website, Schweitzer.Church, where you can find all this information about what's going on, what's coming up more in August. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Jen, for those great announcements. We invite you to take part in any of these activities at any time. If you're joining us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And now... Let's continue in worship. Make way through the waters, 
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we talk to God together. Let's pray. Almighty God, we glorify you. We are so thankful to just be in your presence and we know that you are there for us at any moment of any day. We know that you have made each of us unique with our own special gifts and talents and God, we wanna give those back to you as we share your love with others. God, we ask for the gift of humility above all. We don't want to do things for others or, or put our name out there just to make us known. But God, we want to glorify you. We pray for a heart like Jesus. God, help us to, to stay connected to you and, and to truly know who you are in our lives and to be the people you want us to be. And now let us continue as we pray silently in our own way. now let us continue in prayer as we use the prayer that God taught us saying our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever Amen. We want to share with you about some recent activities here at Schweitzer that have been so much fun this summer. We recently had our family XP or our family experience where kids of all ages were able to grow in their faith by praying together, by playing together, and just by sharing a good time with others. We also have recently had movie nights where we go back to the old-fashioned drive-in movie complete with popcorn, movies on the screen, people came in their pajamas. It was a great experience in our parking lot. There will be other experiences like this coming up and we invite you to join us. Just check for those online at schweitzer.church. Thanks so much for your support of our ministries here at Schweitzer. You can go online at schweitzer.church give if you wanna support our ministries even further. And now, Here's Pastor Jason with our message. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the peacemakers, 
the persecuted. Seek God's kingdom. Care for widows. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Give, pray, fast. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Hello and welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jason. It's a joy to have you with us. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus turns the page in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount all summer long, and we're going to continue for the next, next few weeks. Today we're going to hear about hypocrisy and how hypocrisy connects with our giving, our praying, and our fasting. As we think about the Sermon on the Mount, what we've listened to so far to this point, We've heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven, what it's like, and who's invited into that kingdom. And along the way, as people listen to Jesus, a number of them wondered and asked the question, how is what you're talking about the same or different than what Moses talked about or our patriarchs or our, our, our forefathers, our, our foremothers? How is this thing you're talking about connected with what we've heard, what we've read as we've gone to temple or synagogue? Well, Jesus says something very important in in Matthew chapter 5, he says, everything that you're hearing from me is, is nothing new. It's a fulfillment of the law of Moses. Last week, and for the last several weeks, Jesus really talked about how the law of Moses, uh, that speaks about how we interact with one another on a very s- civil kind of plane, in that, in that civil space, the civil law, we might call it, how he has come to fulfill it. In fact, last week, Pastor Spencer talked to us about um, how love, how we're encouraged in, in the law to love, but not just to love our neighbors, because Jesus says to fulfill the law of love says that I'm not just going to love those who are around me, those who, that I love naturally, but law in Jesus's understanding takes us to the place of loving our enemies. And now Jesus is going to turn the tables and he's going to begin to talk about the religious side of the law. What does the kingdom of heaven look like as we express ourselves religiously or with a sense of sacred right, um, we find these, these comments about uh, loving God first in the first four commandments and then throughout other books of the law of Moses. And we hear the what, when, how, and, and why, uh, how worship is to be conducted so that we express an appropriate love of God. In fact, the last quarter of the book of Exodus is taken up with describing how the temp or the tabernacle is to be constructed and how people are supposed to engage the process thereof. So worship matters. How we approach God matters. So Jesus, in unpacking what the law looks like, keeps reminding us all along the way that it's not just the, the civil law that matters or the, the sacred or religious law that matters. What really matters is the law of the heart. And Jesus keeps describing for us that if we're going to live in the kingdom of heaven, and he wants us to, that our hearts need to be things that are transformed by his heart. Our hearts need to undergo a renovation. And that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven doesn't start out there, but it actually starts on the inside. It starts with a renewed sense of faith and hope and trust and love that is a gift from God. So Jesus is going to turn the corner for us. 
He's going to begin to talk about our sense of engaging with God. And one of the first places he's going to address is our religious practices. Now, in the life of Israel, by the time Jesus is on the scene, there are three major religious practices, three religious obligations that really marked one as having a spiritual life and a sense of spiritual depth and a, and a way to develop those things. Those um, three marks or obligations were this, the act of giving to the poor, because that reflected a sense of trust in God, not only to take care of you, but also to take care of the poor, a sense of generosity of God, the act of prayer. And the act of prayer could be um, described in a number of different ways. It could be like going to your synagogue or taking a, uh, taking a pilgrimage to the temple. Or it could also be the reality that you set aside times within your own day to pray. Uh, the practice of the Pharisees was to spend three times a day in prayer. And then the act of fasting. The Pharisees would fast twice a, a week. And so if you wanted to practice a sense of spiritual devotion, you might take up the act of fasting. So Jesus is going to speak to these religious practices. And again, he's inviting us into the kingdom of heaven. He's inviting us to go deeper into the sense of he is bringing about the fulfillment of the law. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to join me in Matthew 6. We'll read verses 1 to 8 and then 16 to 18. We hear Jesus say this. Watch out. <clears throat> Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for they will, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. For I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Again, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that <clears throat> that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. Can I just take a break and say that other religions are not the only ones who babble on and on? I've been in a lot of prayer meetings over the course of my life, and I think I've heard Fellow believers, and even myself, go on and on. Uh, Jesus says, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask. And then Jesus will give a teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to get to the Lord's Prayer next week. But skipping down to verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, this is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. No one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Wow. There are a number of words within the fabric of what Jesus is saying there that are repeated over and over again. But, I mean, he, he gives us some pretty crystal clear understanding about uh, giving and praying and fasting. And, he, and he's speaking to us in such a way 
that he's drawing attention to this desire that we don't want to be hypocrites, but we want to have a reward from our Father in heaven. Now, when he, he's speaking about being hypocrites, I think deep down, that's one word that almost each and every one of us hopes is never applied to us. Nobody wants to be called a hypocrite. We'll take all kinds of things being reflected reflected about us from other people. But don't call us a hypocrites. That is one word that will get the hairs on our on our necks standing up faster than anything. If somebody calls us a hypocrite, it's calling into question the, the veracity, the truthfulness of our lives. But Jesus knew that there were those in his day, and he knows now that there are hypocrites among us. In fact, if we're really honest about it, and many of us know that there are moments in our own lives when we ourselves are hypocritical. We don't like to admit it. We don't like to see it. But the truth remains. In fact, there are, there are Christian denominations, Christian churches that are in and of themselves at moments hypocritical. I was talking with somebody recently about ordination processes. And we we're talking about the kind of of questions that are asked of people who are going to be ordained as pastors. And we <clears throat> we were noting about three different denominations, three different denominations, not four, three, um, that we were talking about, who ask unique questions, and the, the respondents, those who are about to be ordained, oftentimes feel like they've got to put their fingers, you know, in a, a cross fingers behind their backs to say yes. One of the denominations that we were talking about asked us if a, if a person, an ordinand, had a certain gift of the Spirit. And many, um, not, not just one, not just all, or not all the gifts, but if they have one. And if they don't have that one, then they can't move forward in ordination. The denomination I was originally ordained in asked if I was entirely sanctified. That was one of the questions for, put before those who, who are to be ordained. Uh, I was ordained at the age of 25. <clears throat> and if you would have asked my wife then, if you'd asked my wife now, I'm not sure that she would say that I could answer yes to that question. Another ordination or another denomination will ask ordinands if they are in debt so as to embarrass themselves in the work that they're about to complete. Even as the question is asked by a bishop, many bishops almost give credence to the idea of, of crossing your fingers and just saying yes. But there is in those questions and then in the responses, there's this sense that there's this high bar, but we're not quite there. And so to say yes, it's like, oh, I think I'm committing an, an act of hypocrisy. Now, all those questions that are asked, and even the things that Jesus speaks to, like giving of, of alms, praying, in public or not in public, the act of fasting, all of those things, they're important, valuable expressions. In fact, all of them have a place in terms of shaping us into the people that Christ wants us to be. But what Jesus is really after, what Jesus is really concerned about, it's about the motive of the person who takes them up and embarks upon them. He asks the question and he wonders and he's speaking to this crowd. He's like, as you take up the act of giving or the act of praying or the act of fasting, do you do it so that others will think highly of you, so that others will give you a claim, or are you doing it because you're 
seeking the face and the goodness and the blessing of God. To be sure, to be honest, in Jesus's day and in our day, there are moments when having a sense of religious exterior can be beneficial to someone. And all of us, whether it's religious or athletic or intellectual, we can build some pretty grand buildings of ourselves. And yet Jesus would remind us that sometimes our buildings are built on sand. What Jesus really hopes for us is that our lives would be built upon the rock, upon the truth, and that we would be people who experience the goodness of God. So Jesus, right at the outset, said, you can either be driven by motives where you'll get the praise of others, or you can be somebody who looks for the reward of the Father. In fact, the reward of the Father in verse 1 is something that is, he said this, don't do your deeds publicly to be admired by others, for they will lose their reward from your Father in heaven. There is a reward that's given to us that we might, in fact, not even know about, that we might not recognize that is, is given to us in Christ himself when he approaches us. Well, it's his, his very self. As I was thinking about this reward that Christ says is ours and yet can be fumbled away, if you will, like a football player fumbles a ball, there's a reward, a gift that comes to us that we get to carry simply for saying we want to be followers of Christ. As I was thinking about that, my devotions took me back into the story of King Saul. And King Saul was Israel's first king. We're introduced to him in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. And there, King Saul describes himself as being the, from the smallest tribe of the least important family of all of Israel. And yet the Lord comes along to Samuel, the prophet and priest of Israel at the time, and he says, Saul is the one that I'm picking to be Israel's first king. So in chapter 10, there's this anointing process. And in chapter 10, uh, as after Saul is anointed, we find these words, chapter 10, 9 through 11. As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. And when Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish, Kish become a prophet? There is a gift that is given to Saul when he's anointed by, by Samuel. He is given a new heart, a new heart that's open to God, that's open to caring about his people, that's open to a sense of God's leadership um, and, and God pouring out and, and doing a work within Saul so that he could be a, a blessing to his people. And then... Over the next couple chapters, Saul has victories and Samuel has a retirement party. And then as Samuel runs off into retirement, Saul, King Saul, begins to wig out. For there's a moment when the army begins to like get, get pensive and many people begin to stir and some begin to walk out. And so Saul decides he's now the king and he's going to do something in hopes to keep the army together. So in chapter 13, we hear these words. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. 
as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. And so Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this that you've done? And Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me and you hadn't arrived. And when you said you would, and the Philistines were at Michmash ready for battle. So I said to the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. And I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command of the Lord your that the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man with his own heart. Saul, in just a few chapters, goes from somebody who's a nobody, and he's lifted up and he's anointed, and he's given a new heart to somebody who, who gets worried and has all of the concerns of being the king, they become the overwhelming and overcompassing thought in his own heart and his own mind. And he loses. He loses that new heart. He loses the gifts of God. He loses the life of and closeness of God. He became infatuated with the position of a king. And so this worship, this offering of sacrifices, the sense of prayer was in many ways hypocritical. It was meant to keep his armies with him instead of, instead of being somebody who was devoted to the Lord. So it brings us back to the question, how do we hear Jesus? How do we hear Jesus when he talks about not being hypocrites, but being people of, of giving and giving in secrecy or praying and praying in secrecy and, and fasting, doing it in such a way that we have happy faces? How do we hear Jesus? Well, some people hear what Jesus has to say here in the opening of verse of chapter six. And they say, all right, I'll just give up on doing acts of piety. Um, because if you do it and other people notice, it's, it's just suspicious. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying to give up. No, he's saying there is a different way we need to give ourselves. Because these things do have a way of teaching us what the Lord's heart is about. Jesus is really saying our motive matters. And he's inviting us. He's inviting us to actually move from the outward into the interior where seeing that there's a gift that and a blessing that comes from the Father himself. And that's what we should seek. And so there's a, a great encouragement that if we're going to go about the act of giving, to do it with hands that are forgetful. If we're, we're going to be go about the act of praying, we should seek secret places. And if we're going to enter into the act of fasting. We should do it with happy faces so that people don't even know. But in this way, in this way of living quietly, of expressing faith in secret, we begin to see not those things, but actually we begin to see Christ at work and Christ in us and the glory of Christ. That's what we're invited to, to see. Now, some folks will hear Jesus and they have a question because Jesus said something back in chapter 5 about being salt and light, about not taking this goodness that is poured into us and putting it into a secret place so that nobody else sees it, but putting it on a, on a lampstand so it gives light to the rest of the world. So how do you 
match these up, both with this encouragement to, um, to pray in, in secret, to give in such a way that most people just give glory to God. They don't take note of it in any other place or to fast in such a way that it shapes you. It doesn't really shape everyone else's world. And yet being salt and light, how do you put those two things together? I was thinking about this with one of the most critical, um, well, with a critical question that's come up in the last several weeks in our own time and space. Recently, the Supreme Court <clears throat> made a decision about a football coach who felt compelled to pray on the 50-yard line after every game. And he had some, he had, a, if, if you go back and listen into Coach Joseph Kennedy's story, uh, he was compelled by a film that came out in the mid-2000s about the significant influence that a coach can have just in terms of praying. Whether you win or lose, you give glory, you give thanks to God for the act, the capacity to play. Other people have looked at Coach Kennedy's story and, and the, the case made by the school district that, um, that asked him to stop praying in such a public place. And they're like, doesn't what Jesus say here, doesn't that speak into the situation? Shouldn't prayer be done in secret? Uh, and can he simply be salt and light by being a presence to the kids? Well, Jesus would remind us in this case that motives matter. Motive, the motives of Coach Kennedy really matters, and the motives of the school district matter. The motives are motives. Whether we stand up to pray in public or we, we simply pray in silence, our motives matter. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his running commentary on the Sermon on the Mount in, in a book called The Cost of Discipleship, says, the disciples possess a reward only so long as they're reflective of the light of Christ. From who do they hide the visibility of their own good deeds? Not from others. For we're told to let, uh, we're told to let our light shine. We're to hide it from ourselves. We must be unaware of our own righteousness and see it only insofar as we look unto Jesus. So in the case of, of a coach or maybe in yourself, whether you should or shouldn't pray in certain places, the question that really comes before us is the question of motive. Who are we seeking? What are we seeking to do? Giving, prayer, and fasting, these are all fantastic ways to grow in faith and to walk with God. And when God shows up, we are thrilled. In fact, it's a great line, um, from, from Tim Keller, I heard recently, he was referring to somebody else. He said, prayer, prayer is so essential to our lives because it is the place where we don't just unload our burdens to God, but prayer is a place where Jesus wants to come and show us his face. When we enter into those places and into that intimacy, we should be people who are most thrilled and, and, and just thankful. But sometimes... The truth has to be told that we walk with God for a while and we embark upon these things and we give and we pray and we fast and maybe we do all kinds of other spiritual activities. And sometimes our motives get mixed, our hearts um, change or adjusted. We can start out on this way hoping to see God face to face 
But then we notice that people pay attention to us when we pray well, or people pay attention to us because we've seemed to uh, have a connection with God. So maybe it's in giving or praying or fasting or in some other way, but sometimes our motives can be about power or influence or to help guide things in a certain direction. And it isn't always about growing in love with Jesus. I have to admit that in my own life, as we've been going through this journey of the Sermon on the Mount, there has been a calling in my, stirring in my own heart, a a calling to return to the first love, to be amazed again with Jesus, and to learn from Him. Um, I don't know exactly what Jesus is up to in your own heart and mind at this moment, but I would encourage you As you hear Jesus, say, watch out. Don't do things in public to be admired by others, but don't lose the reward that the Father wants to bring you. Whatever Jesus is saying in this, hear Jesus' call to all of us to seek after him and seek after his kingdom. We're really glad you've joined us in worship. May the Spirit of Jesus draw you deeply into the heart of our kind and good Father. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for being here with us today for worship. We're so glad that you joined us. I want to thank the folks that made this service possible. I want to thank Jen for the announcements, the worship team for their wonderful music, and especially Pastor Jason for his meaningful message. If you know someone that might benefit from this message, I invite you to share it on social media. We thank you for doing that. And now, I hope you have a great week, and I hope we see you back here again next week for Sermon on the Mount. Thanks for being here.
Of the goodness of God.